So, uh, great to be with you. I'm going to put the TV on so that I can show you some quotes uh, when I get them um, up on the screen. Um, let's see if that works. To, there it is. So this is the book that uh, Bonhoeffer wrote, uh, uh, Life Together. Um, uh, welcome back, Katrina. Oh, it's great to be here. Uh, that's my wife. Um, so this is a, uh, a, a privilege to be here with you. Um, my hope is to profoundly disturb you to start with. Profoundly disturb you. Because just about everything that you said Bonhoeffer would, is, is against. Okay, so I'm just going to leave you with that for the moment and then give you something at the end which will hold it all back together. But unless you're profoundly disturbed, I'm not going to give you the end bit because you, you don't get to get the end bit until you're really, really worried. Um, um, we, we, are, we are people who want more for and from the church and from Christian people. We want more. And Bonhoeffer says... For you to pull that off without turning that into, in effect, justification by merit is so unlikely that almost certainly you have slipped into a heresy. Okay, so that, that's his challenge to us. That's why I'm saying I want to profoundly disturb you because the, the way he writes this first chapter of Life Together where what he, in effect, does is take the gospel of justification by grace through faith and apply that to uh, church or fellowship by grace through faith, Christian relationships by grace, grace through faith, life together by grace through faith, community by grace through faith. And, and in the same way as you know the experience and you're terrified of the experience, you know it in your own life and you know it in the lives of other people, that it's so easy to do a bait and switch, right, which is you start the Christian life by grace, you bring them in and you tell them, doesn't matter, you know, Jesus... Jesus, come as you are to Jesus, and it doesn't matter what sins you've done, uh, Jesus can handle them, that your sins are nothing compared to the power of the cross, and you can, you, can, you, know, you can wax really, really lyrical about the awesomeness of God's grace at the start of the Christian life, and then it's time to suck it up and get serious, right? Um, and it's... Uh, uh, you know, and we're the really, really serious people. Like, we're not the turn up to church and just sing a few songs or have some kind of experience and then just go home and do it. We're not those kind of people. We're the serious people. And the, 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 what Bonhoeffer is going to say to you, and I'm going to take some time to explore it, is that the danger with being the serious people is that you're doing a bait and switch on people not in regard to salvation, because you'll still tell them that, of course, that's justified by grace through faith, but you'll do it in regard to fellowship, which actually is the same thing as salvation in the end. So that's the, that's the journey. I'm going to profoundly disturb you and distress you, and I hope, and then I'm going to show you how to move it forward. Um, and this is where I think the intersection between Soma and City City and Acts 29 can actually be really fruitful together. Okay, so that's, that's where we're going. Uh, and you asked me to give the talk, and so that's just that's the problem. 
Um, okay, so um, Bonhoeffer uh, has this um, really interesting introduction to his first chapter on life together, uh, where he talks about the desire to um, be together, and in particular because he talks about Christians as a missionary, it's a, mi- a mission um, um, perspective, actually, he says, which means that Christians are typically scattered. Right? We're often just scattered all over the place and alone and apart and isolated. That's the sort of default mode of being in, on mission. And therefore, he writes, the believer feels no shame, and this is the highlighted stuff, as, and it's uh, all mid-20th century, so it's all gender-specific, so you've just got to forgive him for that because he's a brother by grace through faith. Yeah, okay. The believer feels no shame as though he was still living too much in the flesh when he yearns for the physical presence of other Christians. Man was created a body. The Son of God appeared in earth on a body. He was raised in the body. In the sacrament, the believer receives the Lord Christ in the body. And the resurrection of the dead will bring about the perfected fellowship of God's spiritual dash physical creatures. So he writes about how we, we yearn for, for, for fellowship with one another. Um, and embodied fellowship with one another. I, I found it very helpful to read this again because it gave me good justification for why I always want the staff teams that I lead to be co-located in the same office and to turn up to the office and be embodied. See, it, I feel no shame, as though I were living too much in the flesh, Angus, when I yearn for the physical presence of my staff colleagues. <laughs> Just putting it out there, Dave. Uh, so um, that's, uh, that's, that's the, you, now the challenge with fellowship, of course, is how to handle difference. Okay, so we think that we're living in a really fractured world that's really, you know, against each other and there's left and there's right and there's progressive and there's conservative and and particularly we in Australia look over at America and think America is fracturing apart and the whole place is going down. I can't tell you the number. There was another article today saying Australia should align itself with fascist dictatorship China because America is too useless to rely on anymore. Did you see that article? Uh, uh, there's a, a, a fantastic um, book by a, a series of books by a guy. I think his name is George Bailey, uh, who's both a historian and what you might call a, a predictor, futurologist, uh, who says, actually, don't be stressed by this. Uh, this sort of ruction in American political life happens roughly every 50 years. He can trace it back every 50 years. In fact, this is nicer than it was 50 years ago. You'll be pleased to know. And then 50 years before that, it was even nastier. And so don't, don't let the... What, people stress. This is normal. It's the normal business of ordinary life that people do not know how to handle difference. Okay, that's the normal business of ordinary social life that people don't know how to handle difference. Um, And um, Bonhoeffer responds to this question as well. How do we handle difference? How do we handle the fact that we're different from each other, not just out there in a society, but also in a church? And I'm going to put that in our key which is to say, how do we handle the difference of the fact that we're the serious people and there's lots of people in the church who aren't the serious people like us? That's a difference. How do we handle the difference? And the world has one way to handle difference, which is to squash it, Okay, which is to require sameness in order to be connected. Now, if you're aware of what I'm doing here, I'm transitioning a little bit from gospel language into a thing called family systems theory. And I think family systems has got a lot to offer at this point, which is to say... Uh, it, it, it posits the key challenge of maturity as being able to manage closeness without requiring sameness. Connection without requiring identification, identity, the same thing. Uh, or every marriage glitch from the tiny to the massive is that question. How can I be close to you while you're cranky at me? 
Um, how can we be connected while we're different? Or is it the case that the only way we can be connected is to be the same as each other? That you have to change your opinion, you have to change your mind, you have to change your practice, you have to get serious like me, you have to do what I do, you have to want what I want at the time that I want it to be connected to each other, we have to be the same. That's the way the world handles it. And the kind of, I think, kind of um, interesting uh, development of that at the moment is that we've, because of social media, we've enabled a cancel culture, which is to say we know how to really treat people if they don't shape up and become the same as us, which is we cancel them. And you shame them and out them. And um, I'm in a Facebook group and a a WhatsApp group for my um, um, apartment complex. And so today's name and shame moment was people not squashing their cardboard boxes in the bulky items waste room. And the problem is that the people are not only bad, but they're dumb as well. And so they leave their name on the on the cardboard box. And so what happens is it means that someone can go down and take a photo of them and shame them publicly to the entire strata group saying, you left your undeconstructed box in the bulky items and you are now to be shamed. And what happens next time when they take their box to the bulky items waste room? You better believe that they're going to collapse their box or else they're going to end up back on the WhatsApp group and shamed again. Okay, that's how we do it. We shame people into conformity. Now, I, I've been a, I've been a, I was thinking, I was, um, I've been 25 years in, uh, ordained as an Anglican minister in, uh, in uh, I guess, December this year. 25. And, you know, you learn a thing or two. Uh, and here's the thing that I've learned. I think that I only ever underestimate the degree to which people want me to be pleased with them in the church where I'm serving you will only underestimate the degree to which people want you to be pleased with them. And they'll do a lot of stuff to make sure that you're pleased with them. They're not serving the Lord. They're just serving their desire to be okay with you. So the world's way of handling difference is by merit, by the merit of conformity and sameness so that we can remain as immature as we need to be, as as we like to be, and say that the way that we're going to be close to each other is by being the same as each other. And Bonhoeffer says, we want fellowship with each other, we need fellowship with each other, how are we going to handle the fact that we're different from each other, and it's not going to work to require sameness. Because if we require sameness, then that's fellowship by merit, which is, in effect, enacting a doctrine of justification by merit. And so Bonhoeffer says it's got to be something different. Okay? And so he says, our fellowship together, our community together is through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. What he, what he says is he, he takes it Christian fellowship outside from ourselves so that our fellowship with each other, your fellowship with your gospel community, your fellowship in the church is not with and through each other. It's with and through and in Jesus Christ. And then he unpacks that with uh, three uh, uh, sort of statements. What does that mean? It means, first, that a Christian needs others because of Jesus Christ. It means, second, that a Christian comes to others only through Jesus Christ. And it means, third, that in Jesus Christ, we've been chosen from eternity, accepted in time, and united for eternity. Now, I'm not going to explain those three things, although he does uh, a terrific job of doing that. What I want to do is just highlight uh, 
the kind of essence of what he's saying here. What does it mean to have fellowship in and through Jesus Christ? Well, here's the quote. Jesus, the Christian, no longer lives of himself by his own claims and his own justification, but by God's claims and God's justification. He lives wholly by God's word pronounced upon him, whether that word declares him guilty or innocent. And of course, being a good Lutheran, uh, the word declares him both guilty and innocent, right, in this kind of constant Lutheran law, grace, law, grace, law, grace, law, you know, sort of moment of flux or something like that. The Christian lives no longer in himself, in herself, by her own claims or his own justification, but by God's claims and God's justification. And so what does that mean? Um, um, it, it means, uh, I'm going to pass this one, it means I'm a brother to another person, I'm a sister to another person, through what Jesus Christ did for me and to me. I think the to me is helpful because the for me makes it still sound like it's a bit outside of me, but the to me it, uh, it includes the full passiveness of being done to. I am a brother to another person. I'm a brother to you. You're a brother or sister to me. Only, and you can add a Lutheran only there if you like, alone, through what Jesus Christ has done for me and to me. And the other person has become a brother or sister to me through what Jesus Christ did for him or for her. That's it. That is what constitutes our fellowship, our life together, our communion with each other. The fact that we are brethren only through Jesus Christ is of immeasurable significance, Bonhoeffer says. Not only, and here it is, here it is. Ah, golly, you don't want to hear this. Not only the other person who is earnest and devout and who signs up for a gospel community instead of just saying slack in a sort of regular fellowship group and who really engages with the local community and who brings and, and who really has uh, the, 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 the mission endeavor that's at the heart of the gospel community on their heart, not only that person, earnest and devout, who comes to me seeking brotherhood, must I deal with in fellowship? My brother or sister is rather that other person who has been redeemed by Christ, delivered from her or his sin, and called to faith and eternal life, not what a person is in himself as a Christian, his spirituality and piety constitutes the basis of our MC. What determines our brotherhood is what that man is by reason of Christ. Our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. This is true not merely at the beginning, because Bonhoeffer's aware of the bait and switch, right? This is, this is true not merely at the beginning, as though in the course of time something else were to be added to our community, it remains so for all the future and to all eternity. So you, you see what Bonhoeffer's doing. Bonhoeffer, I think, knows that there's one way to create community, which is by flattening difference and enforcing sameness. And that leads to totalitarianism. And, of course, Bonhoeffer knew a thing or two about totalitarianism. Uh, he was executed under the Nazi regime, having been imprisoned for whatever years. He knows about totalitarianism. He knows how flatness as the road to community works. And we are a little bit familiar in the church, are we not, about 
the way that flatness as the path to community works and the kind of situations of abuse that that leads to, of bullying that that constructs, of whatever form that might take, whether that's physical and sexual abuse or whether it's spiritual bullying or whatever it might be. And Bonhoeffer says there is a gospel alternative to that. And the gospel alternative is that we don't relate to each other on the basis of who we are in ourselves. We relate to the basis of who we are in Christ. And by what he means by that is by on the basis of what Christ has done to both of us. Not just me, not just you, but what Christ has done to both of us. And because it's what Christ has done to both of us, it's both of us, it's got nothing to do with how earnest and devout I am or you are, or how pious or spiritual or missional I am or you are. If you treat any one person as any more or less a sister or brother on the basis of any of those things, you've become a heretic. That's what Bonhoeffer's saying. You've become a heretic. Um, one, one of the members here that I uh, um, think most about is the single most self-absorbed, selfish, spiritually pathetic, personally ugly, utterly curved in upon himself, really horrible person that I think I've ever met. I think he's really the most selfish, self-absorbed, least interested in other people, uh, intrusive, rude and difficult person I've ever met. And you, you, you hear what Bonhoeffer saying to me? Uh, he has, I think, probably a mustard seed sized faith in Jesus Christ. It might not even be that, but I think it, I'm just going to give him that that's what he says, and do I know his heart better than he does? No, so I'll give him he's got a mustard sized faith in Jesus Christ. He's a genuinely difficult, and I would say even repulsive, individual to me. Everything I could hope for from him as a Christian, let alone an actual contributor to the life of the church, he's a total black hole sucker of life from other people. And, and this is not just me, and I'm not making this up. And do you understand what Bonhoeffer's saying to me? I find him, I think he's a gift to me from God. Andrew, you... You can preach a sermon on justification by grace through faith for the ages, but will you live it out, you moron? Because you've got to love, and I won't say his name, him and treat him just like anyone else as the starting point of relationship with him. Now, if you're a pastor, I know what's going on in your mind, which is there's a but, right? There's a but. Which is, but, Andrew, you've got to... And I told you I'd give you a way forward, but you, I don't want you to get to the way forward yet. You've got to feel the problem first. Um, I find this um, incredibly significant. What it is that God has done to us, Jesus Christ has done to us, is what constitutes our relationship with one another. And Bonhoeffer is aware of this. And so he says, that dismisses once and for all every clamorous desire for something more. One who wants more than what Christ has established does not want Christian brotherhood, fellowship. 
He's looking for some extraordinary social experience which he's not found elsewhere. He's bringing muddled and impure desires into Christian brotherhood. Just at this point, Christian brotherhood is threatened most often at the very start by the greatest danger of all, the danger of being poisoned at its roots, the danger of confusing Christian brotherhood with some wishful idea of religious fellowship, of confounding the natural desire of the devout heart for community with the spiritual reality of Christian brotherhood. So Bonhoeffer says that the single most dangerous thing to Christian fellowship is people like us who bring to the fellowship what actually is a desire for something more than Christ to constitute our fellowship with each other. And he, he, he plays out this danger in two ways. He says, the, the first is, it comes by a failure of recognising that what we have is a divine reality rather than an ideal to be, to be achieved. And the second one is, he says, that Christian brotherhood is a spiritual, not what he calls a psychic reality. This is picking up on the 1 Corinthians 15 language. Remember where Paul talks about how uh, we'll be, we're sown psychical in, in Greek and we're raised pneumatical, pneumatikos, pneumatikos, or something rather, uh, spiritual. Spirit-infused, spirit-empowered, spirit-something. Uh, and, and the contrast is between Jesus who was... Uh, anyway, so that, that's, that's the things getting out. The German gets translated, it's complicated, I don't know enough. But, but those are the two problems, and they're actually talking about the same problem. So, so let, me, let, me, um, let me tell you a little bit about the first one, and I'm aware of my time. Uh, we started late, so I'm going late. Uh, innumerable times, Bonhoeffer says, a whole Christian community has broken down because it had sprung from a wish dream. So you see what a wish dream is? A wish dream is that here's what the Christian community is. I see it in front of me. It's up and down. It's, yeah, it's not very missional. It's not very this. It's, uh, yeah. But I know what it could be like. I know what it could be like. And that'll be God-honoring. And so the serious Christians set down for the first time in a Christian community is likely to bring with them a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be and to try and realise it. When I was very first a Christian, I was really pretty keen. And I was uh, dating Katrina, now my wife, and she had some friends over. And we're at her place, and um, we watched. We, we was, there was about eight or, or so of us together, Christians, uh, everyone, and we were set to watch the Blues Brothers. Okay? And I said, how can eight Christians sit in a room and not pray for mission and missionaries and instead watch the Blues Brothers? How can that be the case? And I went home. Katrina rebu rebu rebuked me uh, the next day, had slapped me across the chops. Uh, she didn't know enough Bonhoeffer, really. To, to, she just told me what a jerk I was. Uh, and... and, and um, you can see that there's, now there's something right about and there's actually a lot more that's deeply wrong about. Because what I'm doing is I'm bringing to that, it was a Saturday night, Blues Brothers, I'm bringing to that a wish dream, a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be and to try and realise it. That's what I was doing. Uh, Bonhoeffer goes on and again, this is just one of the great quotes uh, he who loves his dream this is down here, of community 
more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. And then this is, this is Bonhoeffer's kind of gift. God hates visionary dreaming. God hates visionary dreaming. Now, uh, I run an organisation where we've just been accredited to uh, administer a tool for churches in Australia, which is to help them clarify and sharpen their visionary dreaming. That's what we do. We just at our church here uh, have clarified our visionary dream for one, four, one, four, ten years, three years, one year, 90 days. It's just, it's going to go out. The whole thing is, it's awesome. I'm totally, totally wrapped in it. And Bonhoeffer says, God hates visionary dreaming. And of course, you have a dream for your, the church where you're serving or the community group or the gospel community or the um, MC that you're in. And you've got to just hear Bonhoeffer. Not, not because it's Bonhoeffer, but because what he's, what he's doing is he's, he's with, with relentless force applying the doctrine of justification by grace through faith to the nature of Christian community. And he says, you can undo your doctrine of justification by grace through faith by having a doctrine of Christian community by merit and by conformity to my visionary dream. You can do that. You can, in theory, proclaim justification by grace through faith and in practice, live out justification by merit and conformity. And so Bonhoeffer says, God hates visionary dreaming. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realised by God, by others and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands. He sets up his own law. And of course, for a Lutheran law, that's like red rag to a bull, right? And judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. Um, I think Australians, are, uh, we find it difficult to get to that point of judging God. We're just sort of a bit sort of, you know, insecure about these sort of things. But, but if you're a European, right, you can go all that way. He stands adamant, a living reproach to all others in the circle of the brethren. As I walked out the door from watching, and the Blues Brothers was playing, starting to play in the background, I turned and I looked and I was a living reproach to the all others in the circle of the brethren and the sisterin right there. He acts as if he is the creator of Christian community as if his dream binds men together. When things do not go his way, he calls the effort a failure. When his ideal picture is destroyed, he sees the community going to smash. That's, um, that's just a great... I love that phrase. Uh, hell in a handbasket, I think is really what he's saying. And so he becomes first an accuser of his brethren, and then an accuser of God, and finally the despairing accuser of himself. So, O visionary dreamers... Are you feeling the pressure here from Bonhoeffer yet? Because you should. Now, Bonhoeffer goes again with another beautiful, beautiful statement, and this gets even, even harder. Because God has already laid the only foundation of our fellowship, because God has bound us together in one body with other Christians in Jesus Christ, long before we entered into common life with him, Lutheran doctrine of election, we enter into that common life not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. We thank God for what he's done for us. We thank God for giving us brethren who live by his call, by his forgiveness and his promise. We do not complain of what God does not give us if only had people who were more mission-minded. We rather thank God for what he does give us. 
And is not what has been given us enough, brothers and sisters who will go on living with us through sin and need under the blessing of his grace? Is the divine gift of Christian fellowship anything less than this? Any day, even the most difficult and distressing day. Even when sin and misunderstanding and slackness and disinterest and unrepentance burden the communal life, is not the sinning brother still a brother with whom I too stand under the word of Christ. And then this, this is all the way, this is all the way. Will not his sin be a constant occasion for me to give thanks that both of us may live in the forgiving love of God in Jesus Christ? When, when they're slack and they're hopeless and they're sinning and they're not getting with the program, that's the opportunity, the occasion of giving thanks, says Bonhoeffer. And so he goes on, thus the very hour of disillusion with my, with my brother becomes incomparably salutary. That, that's just a German sort of version of awesome. The very hour of disillusionment with my brother becomes, is an awesome moment. It's an awesome moment. Because nothing will teach you as clearly that neither of us will ever live by our own words and deeds, but only by that one word and deed which really binds us together, the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Now, can I, can I recommend that you actually memorise that sentence? Right? Memorise it. I've basically memorised it. The very hour of disillusionment becomes, with my brother becomes incomparably salutary because nothing so thoroughly teaches me that none of us can live by our own words and deeds but only by that one word and deed in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins. And then he kind of concludes, when the morning mists of dreams vanish. All that stuff, all the dreaming, all the visionary dreaming just gets burned up by the sun. Then dawns the bright day of Christian fellowship. Now, Bonhoeffer, again, is too smart to know not to go here, and so he says, this applies in a special way to the complaints often heard from pastors and zealous members about their congregations. But that's too painful, so we're not going to read that. We'll just move on straight away. Um, so that's the first... We're going to stop. I'm going to, I'm going to stop in a moment. I'm going to keep going for one more point, which is to say that the first half was Christian fellowship is not an ideal to be realised, it's a reality that we have. And the second thing he says, it's not... Psychic. It's not psychical, it's spiritual. And the point that he's making with the psychical, spiritual thing uh, is simply this. Um, he says, uh, um, psychical, mere human community is based on something we have in common. And what's really interesting is that Bonhoeffer's not against it. It's perfectly right for some communities to be based on things that you have in common. Uh, voluntary associations. No point playing soccer if you're not going to play soccer. You hate soccer, don't play soccer. Uh, you need to have things in common with your spouse, typically. It's very hard for a marriage. To... Marriage is not meant to be purely spiritual. It's meant to be both spiritual and psychical. So there are things in common. There's, there's common human fellowship at stake in a marriage. But he says, in the church, it cannot be that it's something we have in common. Some thing that is... a See what we're going to do? Turn this into theological language, a work of ours, that we both share the same work. That means that we're bound together. Because then what you've done is you've taken out Christ and put that thing in common, that work that we have, even if it's our faith in Christ. It's what Christ has done to us, even in our sin.
And so Bonhoeffer has this very, very interesting thing. He says, Jesus Christ stands between the lover and the others he loves. I do not know in advance what love of others means on the basis of the general idea of love that grows out of my human desire. All this may rather be hatred and an insidious kind of selfishness in the eyes of Christ. Jesus Christ will tell me what love toward the brethren really is. And because Christ stands between me and others, I dare not desire direct fellowship with them. As only Christ can speak to me in such a way that I may be saved, so others too can be saved only by Christ himself. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm done. I, I need to pause there. Um, the, uh, do you feel the problem? The, the danger that you feel is that if you live this out exactly the same way you feel about justification by grace through faith also is if you live this out, what will happen to fellowship and to community and to sanctification? Right? If you, live, if you actually live this out, what will happen to sanctification? What will happen to the people in the group? You'll just, what do you do? Just accept them? And leave them there, and they never get with the program, they never shape up, and they never serve the Lord. And you, 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 you with me? You're feeling that? Mm. Well, that's the problem you got to solve, isn't it? Because 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 you'll feel that, and the danger will be you'll go. Well, you know what? Sanctification is too important. Mission's too important. Discipleship's too important. It's time to put a bit of pressure on and help people to get with the program and you'll bring your visionary dream and you'll dump it on them. And the great, terrible, terrible tragedy, which I, just, I see so, so often, is that people start with grace and they end with law. They start with grace and they go on with law and, and it kills them. It's killing people everywhere. And, and the, the thing that Bonhoeffer doesn't get to here quite because he's mostly trying to create a problem for us but he will get to elsewhere is to show how in the same way as justification is by grace through faith you've got to figure out how sanctification is equally by grace through faith you've got to figure that out you've got to know in your own life how sanctification is actually a product of grace so that living out fellowship in grace is not anti-sanctification, it's the only way of sanctification. And the only way to do that is through a properly biblical doctrine of the heart. Because the only thing that will change a person's heart is grace. Law will never touch the heart. That's why Israel never got there. Because all the law could do was work on the will. The only thing that will melt people's hearts, which is the only way that people actually change, is grace, which is why the fact that justification is by grace is in fact the only path to sanctification, or as I think it's Thomas Chalmers put it, the freer the gospel, right? the more gracious the gospel, the freer the gospel, the more transforming the gospel. Whereas we think it's the other way around. The more demands the gospel makes, the more transforming the gospel is. And that's, that's your way through this dilemma here. That you've really got to believe that grace is what's going to change the people in your MC. So Bonhoeffer, Life Together. The, the rest of the three chapters are really interesting, weird stuff. It's kind of crazy. It goes all wonky and nutty and fruity and I've never really quite got a handle on them. But that first chapter... 
I, I just I reread it regularly. It I find it um, utterly, utterly brilliant in its vision of community by grace. Um, I'm going to give you one book recommendation, uh, which is if you want to read a, a novel, actually a series of three novelettes written from the same Lutheran tradition, that that in narrative form depict ministry by grace. Uh, can I recommend to you a book called The Hammer of God by Bo Geertz, G-I-E-R-T-Z-S, something, E. Bo Geertz, uh, The Hammer of God. Uh, if you're not crying within 50 pages, then, you know, you don't have a heart. <laughs>